Hi, softball fans. Uh, just a quick update. When we recorded this podcast earlier in the week, well, we included a conversation about the Olympics, but the postponement of the games was not official. So we have some information coming up on the podcast, and you can always check in for more updates at 7 Innings Podcast on your Twitter and Instagram. And due to time constraints, I will now stop talking. Here's the podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Seven Innings Podcast. We're real excited. We got uh, we got the TV. We got a little video coming your way now uh, for the next uh, couple of months on the podcast. Even though there is no softball on the field, there is plenty of softball to talk about. Coming up on today's show, we'll get an Olympic update for you. We'll talk about uh, some of the greatest sluggers of all time. We're really excited. To, uh, we're we're going to put out a bracket for you. We're going to hear from Jesse Harper. Uh, we've got um, a, a little teaching moment coming up for you on the program. And, of course, shagging stats, all kinds of good stuff out there. Beth Mowens, Holly Rowe, Michelle Smith, Jessica Mendoza, Amanda Scarborough, Jenny Dalton-Hill, Kayla Bro, Jen Schroeder. And we are going to cover all the bases. Let's start out uh, with some of you young hip chicks. What's happening out there in uh, the softball world and the social media world? What, what you got kicking around for us? Man, I think it's just been really cool to see how the softball community has responded so positively to this and how through social media, through text messaging, through all of the opportunities, these athletes are reaching out to young girls, to people that, you know, they don't get to play their softball high school seasons. They don't get to play their summer ball seasons thus far. So I think that you're seeing such a cool building of community and how can we work from home? How can we make the best of our situation? And I know Jen and Amanda are working really hard on that as well. Yeah, we've been working really hard for young players, but I think what's impressed me so much about these NCAA athletes is how innovative that they've been on social media. Videos with social distancing, but balls being tossed from one house to another, and they even got Rachel Lawson involved, which I thought was hilarious. So it's been really cool just to see how innovative the community has been. I was thinking the exact same thing, Jen, like the amount of TikTok videos that I've seen of a ball being tossed, like maybe we should do that yeah. um, the next time that we record, try to throw it from sure. box to box, but I think it's it's been a way of connecting the softball community, not just, you know, whoever is on your team, but we're seeing different teams communicate, build TikToks together, social media, respond to each other because we all just have a lot of time, but it's really brought everybody together, and I think that you can feel that everywhere you look on social Good stuff, ladies. Good stuff. One of the, uh, the, the breaking news, of course, that has come out, and uh, we can uh, defer to Jess and uh, Smitty to get us started here. The Canadian uh, Olympic uh, team has decided they will not partake in the summer games if they do, in fact, take place. The Australian uh, Olympic Committee has decided that they are already telling their athletes to get ready for a postponement until next summer. Uh, certainly it, it would appear, Jess, that that's where the U.S. Olympic Committee, uh, if not the IOC as a whole, is headed to uh, postpone the games till at least next summer, perhaps. What are you hearing? I'm shocked at this point if they don't. And I have to applaud the Canadian Olympic Committee and the Paralympic Committee for stepping up because it, it just takes one. And you saw it immediately with Australia, as you mentioned, in following that. I wouldn't be surprised if the U.S. Olympic Committee, especially because of USA Swimming, and USA Track and Field coming out with their statements and their qualifications and all of their trials have been canceled. 
I mean, this is something that just absolutely has to happen, but I applaud the Canadians because I know how hard that decision had to be for their athletes, but it took one to start it, and I'm glad they did Yeah, and I think it's, there's a couple of factors, obviously, that need to be considered. It's first that it's a worldwide health scare and a worldwide issue. Uh, I've been in touch with some folks in Italy, and they weren't even – talking about the Olympics, they're like, Michelle, please send us a message of hope. Please send us a message of softball community that we're going to get through this and everything will be fine. Then there's the talk of the Olympics. But absolutely, for these athletes, it's about surviving. It's about your family. It's about the world being healthy. And then as an elite athlete, how do you show up in Olympic Games? You want to be prepared. You want to be in game shape. You want to be in the best shape of your life. And right now, training is an issue. So I think that's where we're seeing a lot of different sports who are having issues training to get to that elite status, saying, all right, it's a health issue, but it's also a performance issue. And that's why they need to be delayed. I think that first and foremost, you could not bring all these athletes together from all of these different countries because the virus is in different stages in different parts of the world. And so I think that's the biggest decision that they have to make. And I think they are going to make the right decision in postponing the Olympics. But honestly, my first thoughts have gone out to our colleague, Danielle Laurie, I watched an IGTV video she did yesterday just talking about how hard this is um, because, you know, she she's put her life on hold for a year to work on this for two years now. And all of the work we have seen her put in behind the scenes and, you know, getting help with her children, daycare. And I think of all of the athletes, what this means for Monica Abbott, Kat Osterman, Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi, some of these athletes who are in their older time of playing and more experienced, can they hold on for another summer if there is a postponement. So this is, this is gut wrenching for a lot of people, but I absolutely believe it is the best decision. Well, and then you think about also Holly, what happens to those athletes that are in college? Do they then sit out an additional year if it gets postponed until next season? There's so many things that put that ball in motion, but ultimately we do need to think about the health of our world and make sure that everybody is being safe but also able to train so that they can be at the top of their game when it comes right down to it, when they get to the Olympic games. And the pressure is now because in talking to so many athletes, there is this anxiety right now of are the games canceled? Are they postponed? What's happening? I mean, we assume at this point they are, but it has yet to be announced. And so to me, it's make the decision now because there's so many athletes still trying to prepare their bodies. And I just got an email yesterday Plane tickets to Japan. I mean, everyone's on board. Let's go. Let's, we're still going on with these Olympic Games. We have to still act like we're doing this. I can't imagine the athletes and how they're handling this. They need the decision, and they need it today. So, so take us through. Uh, give us an example, Michelle and Jessica. What what would the team be doing right now? Obviously, they'd still be on tour, but that has been uh, postponed all the upcoming dates. But what what would your training be like right now? Kind of when no one else is watching. What what are what are the Olympians missing out on right now, their ability to get ready if they do go in three months' time? Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing right now, because we're such a team sport, that you can work on some aspects of your game on your own, your fitness, your weight training, but we're a team sport. Middles need to work together. Corners need to work together. Your pitcher, your battery uh, with your catcher. So, And then just game, getting up to game pace. Because I can tell you, my first month back in the season – 
even though we went through a little spring training, there's a difference between being in shape and then being in game shape. And being in game shape is a whole different level. My first couple games, I was sore. My back was sore from throwing because you just, you're throwing and, and wrenching that ball out with a different amount of velocity mm-hmm. and just fire. So it, it's getting these athletes into that shape and it takes time. So right now, Team USA is missing all that togetherness, especially as a team sports track and field swimmers who do individual sports. It might be a little bit different. They can, they can then swim and train on their own. But for softball, this is especially devastating, not having everybody together to train together. Well, even the mechanics of it. I mean, as a hitter, I need to face a pitcher, flat out, period. If I'm a hit, I can go in the cage, I can hit off my team. But if I'm not facing pitchers at a high level, are you kidding me? And the mentality of that, I was talking to Pat Austin just a few days ago. She's pitching literally to a net. She's not pitching the hitters. And then you're asking her in a few months' time to be able to face the best in the world? Not going to happen. I saw an interesting video on Instagram um, from LSU pitcher Shelby Wickersham that really got me thinking about this is that they are, like she said, even though we're not playing right now, I want my body to stay in season. And by that she meant I need to be pitching every day. If I was in season with NCAA softball right now, I would be in the bullpen working out. And so I want to keep my body on schedule and be pitching every day right now until June. And she was so cute. She said, and I'm just pretending like LSU would have gone through June so we could have gotten to the World Series. Um, but I thought that was a really interesting way of looking at it, is keeping your body workout and your body clock on schedule with tapering and workouts and live action. That, that's a whole other issue. Yeah, I think that you're having to see athletes be more creative than they've ever had to be in their entire lives. Now, the whole strategy part and game planning and thinking outside the box, Holly is really coming into play because of what you just described, like Shelby Wickersham, that's how she sees it. That's what she wants to do. And so you're going to start to think these athletes, whether they're future Olympic athletes or current college athletes really have to think outside the box and even structure their workouts in a way to get the most out of them by them, by themselves at their house, whether it's strength training or pitching. And Jess, you talked about Kat, Monica Abbott is in the same boat being in California. California. She's in shelter in place. Like she can't go out and pitch. She's trying to figure it out. If she can throw to Annie Aldretti, I spoke to her. So all of these athletes are in the same spot, just trying to be creative and, and trying to be Olympians, trying to be division one athletes and still like live up to that level that you have for yourself as a player that you know, you need to perform at and work at in order to feel like you're in shape, most confident and most ready. Well, and I think the, the one area that you can really work on in these very bizarre times is your mentality, is watching video of yourself, going back and dissecting. What do you look like? What does your opponent see in you? What are you seeing in your opponent? Go back and look at film. This is a great time, whether or not you're sitting on a spin bike, working on your, your fitness level. You can also be scouting yourself, scouting your opponent, and working that mentality of the game because that is the, the part that's going to be so important so that when you do have the opportunity to step back on the field mentally, it's like you you haven't played, but mentally you're as sharp as you would be as if you've been in a 60-game schedule. It, it's going to be real interesting to see as well. You know, what So what happens to the players? Um, you know, Holly and Jen, you guys referenced, you've got some young players that still have college eligibility. You've got some older players that, you know, they, this was going to be their swan song. This was going to be their riding off into the sunset. Can they stick around and maintain you know, their um, their ability to play at the highest level, will they want to make that decision? Will we have to reselect uh, some of our teams over the course of the next 12 months? It'll be fascinating 
to see how a lot of this plays out. Obviously, getting that gold medal, I, I would imagine, is still first and foremost on anyone's mind in terms of prioritizing what you want to do for the next 12 months, Holly. It doesn't seem fair, though, because, like, if you made the Olympic team, you made the team. Yeah. And, and, and if you open up this whole new can of worm, worms because of a postponement, that just doesn't seem fair to me, to these athletes that have put their life on hold for four years, ramping up to this Olympics. And, again, I think of our colleague, Danielle Laurie. Um, I, I hope she can join us in the weeks to come. I know this decision for Canada not to send Olympics is too raw today. But, you know, she made a very uh, public statement yesterday about she has to decide should she hire a nanny to keep being able to train like she is. I mean, this is a financial decision of now another year of financial investment and time investment for athletes who have had their lives on hold to train for this Olympics. I, I just feel sick to my stomach for all of them. Yeah. And beyond being able to train, too, we're talking about the entire Olympics, right? So for softball, someone like Kat or Monica are trying to figure out how to train. I spoke with Monica yesterday, 54% of athletes aren't qualified for the games yet. So you're thinking of the entire gymnastics team isn't even picked. Swimming is missing all sorts of qualifications. So there's really multiple issues that are happening where Jess, I would be shocked, like you said, if it weren't canceled, but why are we waiting? What's the holdup right now? Because everyone's putting their lives on hold from NCAA athletes to someone like Danielle Laurie all over the map. And, and nobody knows what's going to happen. So I, I would think that the games are going to be canceled. Postponed, but, right? Postponed. Yeah. Yes. Postponed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Postponed. Not canceled. They'll be postponed until next year. Yeah. Hopefully, fingers crossed that they don't get canceled because I think that is a fear. I think certain athletes are fear driven that Oosh, if it's postponed, does that mean it's canceled? Is there a potential of cancellation? And I, I just, I, I'd be shocked if they weren't postponed. And Jen, that really quick, I mean, that literally is, I think, the biggest thing is we're all talking about, okay, for Danielle and some one year, that's not guaranteed at this point either. So I think just knowing that that fear, the dreams, all of it, it's not a guarantee, even if it's postponed, that it would be played next year. Right. And we will keep you up to date on all the latest as it comes in. And, and as Holly referenced, we're, we're hoping to have uh, Dilo with the Velo, uh, Danielle Laurie, uh, on to, to chat with us. And, and if it does come to a postponement, uh, you will uh, you will be able to rely on the Seven Innings podcast. We will have an Olympic special regardless so that we can give this uh, U.S. team and give these Olympians their debut and at least a little uh, moment in the sun for them and, and the respect that, that they've earned. The other interesting thing that has happened uh, just recently, the NCAA says the statistics will count from this shortened season. So the wins for Mike Candrea will count. That means he has moved in front of Carol Hutchins' career uh, number one wins for coaches at, at, at the D1 level. It also means that Jesse Harper inches a little bit closer to the home run record and would probably have an entire season next year to continue the Chamberlain chase. Still waiting word, I believe, on what Missouri's status will be for the NCAA tournament. Remember, they were ineligible this season. Will they be eligible again next year? What do, you, what do we think of the NCAA? What was it, Smitty, 36 days of this season, and the stats will count. 36 days at 36 um day season and it's kind of crazy I I think that it's going to bring up a lot of the asterisks when you start looking at records if Jesse Harper comes back and does beat Lauren Chamberlain's record then do we go a little bit more to um, how many at-bats per home run hit I think you start to really dissect the numbers a little bit more 
um, for, for these athletes. But what do you do? I mean, you, you can't, I think the NCAA made the right decision. These athletes yeah. should have the opportunity to be able to play a full and legitimate season. The statistics part of it, you know, I always felt like as an athlete, stats are made to be broken. They're fun to follow. They're, they're a bench line for everybody to work on improving. It's part of the game, and hopefully they are broken because that's really what keeps us as fans interested in the sport to see where that development happens. But um, it will be interesting to see who comes back and, and who chooses to move on with their lives. All right, that's the decision from the NCAA. This is your seven innings podcast. We got the video up and running. I, I believe it's going to be on Instagram. You can follow us at seven innings podcast on your gram and on your Twitter. Still to come, a conversation with Jesse Harper. We will also start the great debate of the greatest collegiate slugger, uh, slugger in softball history. We will also have a very Special sit-down with the Shipman sisters, all coming up on the 7 Innings Podcast. Welcome back to the 7 Innings Podcast. Uh, Still to come, the great slugger debate. Also, a word with the Shipman sisters, and as usual, we'll be shagging some stats. But first up, Holly Rowe had a chance to talk with Jesse Harper, who is set to return to Arizona and give that home run record a chase. Joining us now on seven innings is America's best hitter, maybe right now in the college game, Arizona senior Jesse Harper. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. I hope everyone's staying safe. We are. I know you're home with your family. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on it because we're trying to be happy and distract people with softball. But just tell us, you know, you're a senior and this has been kind of a tumultuous time for you. What's the last week or so been like for you? Um, It's kind of been a whirlwind. Um, Definitely some new ups and downs, but always trying to find the positive. Um, Positive, I'm here with my family. I'm enjoying their company. I got a new puppy to spend my time with. Um, But other than that, there's been a lot of question marks. Um, I'm just so hopeful that I'm able to get this year back and be back on the field with my friends because that's really what I really want at the end of the day is to be able to play with my friends again. (laughs) Perfect. Um, First of all, what's the puppy's name? We named her Whiskey. Um, I hate to say this, but my parents, before every softball game, home game, they go with some other parents to a little bar across the street, and they take a Wildcat Whiskey shot. So because they're not going to be able to do a celebratory Wildcat Whiskey shot anytime soon, they named her Whiskey. <laughs> I love it. It is so adorable. Okay, well, let's talk about some happy stuff. You were off to another great season, and you really are on pace you know, maybe to break the all-time NCAA record. I wanted to start maybe at the beginning because you have not always been a home run hitter. You said that when you got to Arizona, you weren't necessarily a power hitter. How did that become your thing? Yeah, well, uh, going into college, you never know what's going to happen, but you just have to embrace the tools that are given to you and learn from your teammates and my freshman year, I think I kind of shocked myself and my family. I was like, whoa, I'm hitting a lot of home runs here. Um, but I think that year I was just kind of following in Katiana Malga's step. I mean, she was hitting home runs like crazy. And um, the girls on my team, same with them. We have Alyssa Palomino and people like that just hitting home runs. So it just kind of came. That was Arizona. We were hitting home runs. Um, I didn't really think about it myself too much that way. But, uh, yeah, I never really – I was I was just trying to play the game I love with my friends and help our team win. I didn't think home runs were going to be this big of a part of a, my game, but I've learned from the best, and I'm still learning from the best. So I think that's what's really put me where I am now. 
I was, I was preparing for this interview. I was watching some video of you on YouTube. And one of the things that really stands out to me is just how fast your hands are and how compact and fast your swing is. Who, who taught you how to swing? I know your mom played college softball, but who, who taught you that swing? Yes. Yeah, so ever since I was eight years old, I started taking batting lessons with Dean Fawcett, who is the head SoCal Choppers fast pitch coach um, for travel ball. Um, so I was always a chopper since 14U on to 18U. I've always played with them. So one one day a week, I'd go and have a 30-minute batting lesson with Dean Fawcett, and that's where we pretty much broke down my swing. But other than that, my dad is super influential. Um, he takes me out to the cages all the time. So I think he's losing his mind right now that we have to be inside, that he can't be taking me out to the cages and having fun with my sister and I. Um, But yeah, definitely my dad and then Dean Fawcett were really ones that helped shape my swing. And then obviously Coach Kendrea has been helping me out too now that I'm in Arizona. Coach Kendrea has talked to me before about, he thinks one of the things that makes you such a great hitter is your hand-eye coordination and your bat speed. When did you start to learn that maybe these were exceptional tools that you had? Well, growing up, I always uh, was my dad would always break some of my bats and put a screw on the top and then fill it with sand to make it like heavy. So I was always swinging the heavy bat around, just trying to really strengthen my, I guess, my speed of my bat, my bat speed. And then I also he little made this um, little contraption where he took a giant um, bucket, filled it with cement, and then put like a pole through it, and then a tire so I was just hitting the tire with the heavy bat out in the front yard just having fun with that trying to see how far I can move it and that's just kind of where I think I've generated the bat speed and power just little makeshift things at home DIY and then just having fun that way but um, definitely with how fast these pitchers throw and how much movement they have you have to have good high eye contact um, wow I can't even speak right now but you have to have fast hands and be able to adjust to the ball moving but uh, yeah as the pitchers get better you have to get better yourself Awesome. Well, you have gotten better every year. I wanted to read your stats. Freshman year, you come in 19 home runs, just nine walks. Next season, 18. You know, I I really like that, that you stayed consistent from from freshman to sophomore year because people were starting to scout you and you were able to stay consistent. Then 29 home runs your junior year, 10 this year in 25 games in this abbreviated season. So, um, you know, I know the NCAA has talked a little bit about – bring athletes being able to come back for an extra year. If you are allowed to do that, would you come back to Arizona or what have you kind of thought through so far? Oh, I love Arizona. I love everything about it. Um, I was already planning on getting my master's next year and being a graduate manager with a team. So no matter what, I was coming back to Arizona. That's where I want to be. Um, I want to be a college coach at the end of the day. So I definitely want to learn from Coach Kendrea and Kate. Um, so I definitely want to stay there. But now that I may have an opportunity to play again, there's no way in heck that I won't take that opportunity. I just need to be back on the field with my teammates, learning from them and learning from my coaches. That's how I want to spend my final year, and I want to end it at the Women's College World Series. <laughs> I love that focus. That's really neat that your path kind of lined up already because, you know, I've worried about other kids that were I, – I know some of the Florida State kids were going to vet school or mm-hmm. law school, you know, but yours had already lined up to be there on campus. Maybe it's meant to be. Maybe yeah. it's just meant to be. you got to find the, the happiness and the, the crazy times, that's for sure. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and we can't wait to see you playing on the field somewhere soon. Jesse Harper, one of the best thank hitters you. in college history. Thank, <laughs> thank you for having me. Stay safe.
Holly, along with Jesse Harper, you'll get some reaction from the rest of the gang, as well as the start of the greatest slugger debate in college softball history, all coming up. Welcome back, everybody, to the 7 Innings Podcast. Uh, still to come, a teaching moment. Uh, we've got the Shipman sisters, we've got Shag and Stats, but you would not believe the back and forth amongst our seven innings team, talking about the greatest collegiate slugger in history. It has been off the charts. We're, we're, it's been so good. We're going to have um, all kinds of brackets coming out in the next couple of months for you on the show. We thought we would start, though, since we just heard from Jesse Harper, and she's coming back. We got some old school. We got some new school. Who is the greatest collegiate Softball slugger in history, folks. You can follow along on social media because we do, in fact, have a bracket. We have selected the top 32 sluggers of all time. The one seeds, Lauren Chamberlain, Laura Espinosa, Sierra Romero, and Stacy Newman. Keep in mind, we've already given, I think we're all in agreement, Crystal Bustos already has taken home the trophy as the best pro slugger and the best Olympic slugger. I did uh, reach out to her college for her college stats at Palm Beach College yes. in Florida, and I have not heard back, but I All am right. trying to effort that. I still think she should be in the bracket. I she is, that till I die. She is, she's on the bracket as a seven-seed gang. That's because she played at, at community college and, and wasn't facing the best pitchers, and so she won't have the statistics. Obviously, her eye test will be very strong, but um, we're going to we're gonna talk – uh, also, we do have uh, two members on the list. Um, Jessica Mendoza is a four seed. Jenny Dalton is a three seed. For those of you wondering why Smitty isn't on the list, she would be in a separate bracket still to come out, as will Amanda Scarborough uh, of the greatest hitting pitchers of all time. So that's a that's a separate bracket. So let's start out with our two sluggers, Jess and Jenny. Jenny gets a three-seed opening up against Casey Cooper of Auburn, and Mendoza will start out. We got a Stanford-Cal first-round matchup against Veronica Nelson, who walked, I think, more than any of us had at-bats in our careers. Well, first off, I'm going to take this kind of an opportunity to plead my case. I'd like to thank the committee for putting the position to fight for an opportunity. Found out. It's an honor to be nominated. It is such an honor. But actually, it really is kind of cool to look through all the names of all of the hitters that we have on this list. And what we thought was maybe going to be kind of a calm conversation. And it's been fun to go back and forth. And the conversation has been, well, what about those hitters that hit the white ball compared to the yellow ball or the bat before bat testing came into play? And so I went back and looked at some of those numbers. And Yvonne Gutierrez in 1992 led the country with 11 home runs with the white ball. The very next year, 1993, uh, Marcella Smith from Florida A&M hit 19. So immediately we saw that impact. 1995, the first year of 100 home runs hit by a team. So Mm -hmm. we saw the impact of the yellow ball immediately. And I was lucky enough to play in 1993 was my freshman year. So I had the benefit of having the yellow ball throughout my career. Refresh the the younger folks out there. What's the difference, Jenny, white ball and, and yellow ball? Well, when you play with a baseball and the cover falls off, it has the strings that unwind. The same thing is true of our old white ball. When the cover came off, it had the little teeny core in the middle, and then the string wound around it. But it was like 
hitting a pair of socks. You could not hit that. (laughs) And so you had to swing so hard. Then they changed it to that poly core. It wasn't necessarily the yellow of the ball that was the difference. It was the core of the ball that changed that made the offense really improve. So the yellow ball brought more offense into the game and definitely increased all of those home runs. Jess, what do you think? I, you know, I look at this list and I get so pumped at all that you see all the different names over the years. I mean, I'm, I remember watching the abroad, Jenny, I remember watching you, and so you see these hitters, and then you see the current players going against each other. Like, I want this to happen. Like, I feel like not only are we going to have this bracket, but this needs to really happen. We need to all grab packs, like, bring the same ball, and let's have that. I am taking everyone on. I don't care how old I am, although I'm not going to make it out of the first round, because my announcement was legit. <laughs> she would have the record if everyone just seemed Walker. I mean, we played yeah. against other all the time. She went to Cal to Stanford. He walked her every single bat because that girl, oh my gosh, she had hands and she could just poke it over the fence like no big deal. She was legit. I'm going to make it out the first round, guys. It's over that. <laughs> <laughs> she had two seasons of over a hundred walks. Think about that. Two years wow. of over a hundred walks. Uh, she would be in the Betty Spaghetti region. Uh, you and, and, um, uh, Ronnie would be head-to-head in a first-round matchup in the Betty Spaghetti region. The Marla Hooch region. Marla Hooch. Wait, let me back up. Marla Hooch. What a hitter. Um, the Marla Hooch region features Sierra Romero against Sheila Cornell in a first-round matchup. We've got some great old-school, new-school matchups. Uh, we also have some current players. Jocelyn Allo is in that region. Uh, Stacy Newman leads the all-the-way May region. Um, sneaky good, Shelby Pendley, Leah Bratz, also in that region. Uh, Dottie Hansen includes current uh, player Jesse Harper, who we heard from earlier, and one of Holly Rose uh, favorites, uh, Kelly Majum, out in Hawaii, who had, set, who had 30 home runs in 2010, Ho row. Did you guys get my text at 3 o'clock this morning? I woke up <laughs> I sound asleep. I literally sat up in my bed and was like, is Lauren Hager on this list? Is Lauren Hager on this list? No, is Lauren Hager, Lauren Hager is moved into the hitting pitcher bracket. That will be coming up later, yes. Okay, I want the 70 70 She'll be the one seed, yes. Remember the year that she was the Babe Ruth of softball and like, yes. she was such a power hitter, so – I literally woke up in the middle of the night to make sure that Beth had included Lauren Hager. Ladies and gentlemen, our first bracket snub. This is the fun part. Uh, uh, Lauren Hager snubbed and bumped out of the pitching hitter bracket. Uh, Any any matchups or anybody else that should have been considered for this list that you guys like out there? Well, a matchup that I'm super intrigued by. Now, mind you, a lot of people on this list, I watched as a young girl or watched in high school years, right? Like, Jess, I watched you growing up in high school. And Jenny, I got to watch you when I was younger. Names like Stacey Newman, who, by the way, I'm just taking her all time that she's going to win. That's my vote. No, you don't. You don't get her. I do. She's on the fruit and I get her. I was in her wedding. Oh, okay. (laughs) Fair, fair. But I look at, you know, Sheila Cornell Dowdy against Sierra Romero, which it's funny because Sheila's uh, granddaughter is now at Michigan. So it's just a funny connection there. But I looked and I'm like, okay, in my mind, Sheila Cornell Dowdy is this powerful Olympic hitter. That's how I remember her, right? And then I honestly looked at her NCAA stats, and to me, they're just average. Uh, They're not, they're, you know, 
two, she was a 250 hitter, slug 376, where I think right away I thought that she was going to advance over Sierra Romero as an upset. And then you look at straight up numbers head to head and you have to lean towards Sierra. Now, Jenny, I got to brag on you for a little bit because I did a little research and you were impressive. I mean, you led so many Pac-12 or Pac-10 back then categories, but my most impressive thing about you is you had more three home run games than anybody else in the country. That is not easy. That's why she's called the cool cat with the bat from Arizona. That is crazy. But to me, um, Stacey Newman for sure. And I can both take her. I don't know. <laughs> can I get in on that? Because I think Nuvi is amazing. <laughs> she, uh, wait, so is she the Nuvi. overall number one here over Lauren, Lauren Chamberlain, folks? Can I your say home run queen and <laughs> number one in slugging percentage. And remember, she missed half a year with an injury. Yeah. Okay, can I say one thing? I have been down on field level when both hit the ball. Because um, we did games when Stacey Newman was on the Olympic team and we did the USA tour and the World Cup. And then I've been on the field when Lauren Chamberlain hit the ball. And I don't know if, if this is a winner or not, but the ball sounds so different coming off Stacey Newman's bat. It's almost like when I stood behind Tiger Woods in his prime when he hit a golf ball. It sounds so different. The power, I, I'm telling you, I haven't heard anything other than Crystal Bustos like newbies. Yeah. We tried to intentionally walk her at Stanford, like literally put it in the other batter's box, and she hit it over the fence, like with one awesome. hand. I mean, just stupid good. Plus, guys, she was a career 400 hitter, and I know we're not talking about like it's all about the long ball. She grew up with strikes all the time. Uh, just some other notes for everybody. Of course, Samantha Finley is in this um, bracket, a Michigan All-American, uh, maybe, arguably, the most famous home run of all time in the 2005. Champ series. Uh, don't forget Stacy Chambers, who at one point was the home run queen uh, with the uh, top 10 all time and home runs and runs batted in. Uh, we have Kelly Crutchman on this list, probably, if memory serves me, the first great SEC slugger. And, and also um, Danielle Gomez from Louisiana is on here, as is Alyssa DiCarlo, Jen Brundage. A lot of folks only know her as the Michigan assistant, great hitter at UCLA. And how about a Jenny Topping, a four-time All-American, also on this list. So a lot of good names, young and old. Uh, Jocelyn Allo, we'd have to kind of predict out. We'd also have to do the same thing for a Bailey Hemphill. How high can they get? Holly? Katiana Malga, is she on here? Katiana Malga is uh, the the two-seed in uh, the uh, Dottie Hansen bracket. So she would potentially have an elite eight matchup with Lauren Chamberlain. If so they, where will we if see the these brackets, hold. Beth? Where can our listeners get our Our wonderful crew behind the scenes is putting the brackets together so they look all nice and pretty. And we will be releasing the brackets on social media. And then when we are full-on video uh, coming up in April and May, we really think that the podcast will be going uh, on video for you on uh, TV, on, on ESPNU perhaps, we will have obviously all the brackets out nice and pretty with video to go along so you guys can see some of the sweet swings. But once the brackets are out on social media later this week, we obviously want your input. We're looking for upset specials. 
We're looking at who your favorites are. We want to know why the old school is better than the new school or the new school trumps the old school. All kinds of great discussions uh, coming up. I believe, is Michelle Smith the only one of us that once led the country in home runs? Is that correct, Smitty? How many? And I still have my uh, my 32-inch, uh, excuse me, my 32-ounce bat that I had to use to, to get that ball out of the yard. It is a beast. Um, it may make a visual appearance. Uh, once we're on the it was, is, it, it is it true you also played in local parks where there was no fence, so the outfielders could be 400 feet back? Yes. yes. I bet I had, I bet I had in my junior and senior year, literally, probably eight to ten home runs stolen by <laughs> – you could you had to get the binoculars out to see where the outfielders were, but yeah, it was a can of corn. It was just a routine boop, fly ball, you're out. So it was more about hitting, the, trying to hit the ball on the line and get it out of the park because there was no home run or there was no oh. home run there. <laughs> Different day. Different we day. are we are so excited about this, folks. We will be dedicating an entire show to the great debate of the greatest. Remember, collegiate softball slugger of all time, as well as other brackets that we'll have coming your way meanwhile the seven innings podcast rolls on how about a sit down let's get something cooking with the shipman sisters and we'll shag some stats of course coming up later jenny dalton hill here with seven innings podcast we're talking a lot about sluggers this week and everybody has their own style and their own mechanics but one thing that stays true is contact points so let's go over what they are When you talk about contact points in a swing, each pitch needs to be made contact with in your swing at a different spot. Outside pitch typically is made contact with even with stride foot before it goes to stride or to toe touch. Down the middle, which is a mistake, which most pitchers don't want to throw you, but you need to capitalize on, is even with that toe touch or with that stride foot. And an inside pitch, just on the outside of that toe touch, to make sure that you get the barrel to the right spot. So what does it look like? Outside, deep in the swing. Down the middle, even with stride foot, take it deep. And then inside pitch, out just beyond that toe touch, keep the barrel inside the ball, drive that one deep. So contact points are important, but they're more important because you can make a good hit on a bad pitch, but at the same time, you're going to be more successful if you hit the ball where it's pitched. So that's a lot of the reason why we need to work on contact points when we're hitting off of a tee. Bro, what did you think? Yeah, I think you brought up a really good point, Jenny. And that's, you know, with limited resources and everyone being stuck at home, there's so many ways that you can develop your game as a young hitter or learn more about seeing pitches. And I think not only you're talking about contact points, but location points. You know, like when I was playing at Alabama, Coach Murphy used to talk about it kind of being like a telephone pad with numbers your strike zone is. So a one on a lefty, for example, would be like a high outside pitch. A two would be a high and down the middle pitch. So visualizing not only location points on what pitches you're hitting, but trying to see what pitches I want to hit. What are my go-to? And visualize a pitcher literally in high-def 3D pitching to you and finding ways to make the best out of your situation. I I think, too, uh, another really cool thing that you can do while you're home alone is find ways to love the game again. I used to grow up and I played wiffle ball in the backyard with my dad and that's why, and my family. And I used to go make my little brothers go throw me like ground balls in the backyard. And I just loved that skill and the little rhythm and little tiny things in the game that make you love it. Amanda. 
Yeah, Jenny, to go back to your, your contact point video, I thought that was so well done. And I, I'm thinking, too, to kind of pull together the greatest sluggers of what they were all so good at. And, Jess, you had mentioned it. You would you guys would try to pitch around Nelson, or I can't remember it. We named so many names who it was at this point. But yeah. it would be a foot outside, a foot low, a foot high. A good hitter is going to be able to hit mistakes. They're going to be able to hit good pitches that are pitchers' pitches. Like, they're able to not – you can't just get them out one way. And so that what stands out to me, Jenny, about having different contact points is having an awareness about where you want to hit all those different pitches, visualizing them, Kayla, like you just mentioned, knowing what you're good at. Of course, they all had strengths, but they all had weaknesses that they could make their strengths on any given day. And what I'm looking forward to um, in terms of like an instructional video to share with everybody is how to create your own strike zone on a wall at your house. It could be outside on the patio. Um, we, have, we have a stucco wall here. That's where mine is. Uh, it could be in your garage. It can be in a hallway, but how to measure it out, how to know where to put it so you can consistently throw strikes and even make a, a ball out of socks uh, finding creative ways to still find your release point. And I mean, at the end of the day, you guys, pitchers have to find ways to throw strikes. That's their number one job. So still continuing to practice that and getting that mentality and seeing themselves do it over and over and over again, being as consistent as they can be. Looking forward to seeing your own strikes on. I've also got my keypad right here, bro. I want a lot of fives and eights. Those are the meatballs right down the middle on, on my telephone keypad. That's what I'm looking for. You always have We've got uh, videos that we're going to be releasing on social media from our wonderful cast of characters here on fielding, on framing, on hitting big balls. Uh, Holly has talked about her Olympic homage. That'll be coming up. And and since we're going to start cooking right now with the Shipman sisters, we want our resident sommelier Smitty also to come up with some lovely wine pairings for us because the last thing the Shipman sisters ever want to do at the World Series is two and BBQ. But they can cook up some good Barbie for us. Here are the Shipman sisters coming at you. Hey, everyone. I'm Madison Shipman, and I am here with Allie Shipman, catcher for the Tennessee Lady Volunteers, a.k.a. the youngest of the four Shipman siblings. And typically during the spring, you see us out on the softball field or talking about softball. But today, it looks a little bit different. We're bringing some dinner to you guys. So we've got some brisket, we got some salad, and I'm going to grill my little sister with a couple of questions. You ready? Yep. All right, to start it off, where were you and what was your initial reaction to finding out that the season had come to a stop? We were actually at the airport on our way to Texas A&M. I was in line for Starbucks when Coach Karen started telling us that we all needed to gather around, we needed to have a talk. She actually told us to turn our phones off. It was so, top secret. Yeah, we were like, we're dying, we need to turn our phones off, I don't know what's happening. And she told us that the SEC was thinking about postponing season. And so we all got back on the bus and we headed back to our clubhouse. And by the time we got back to our clubhouse, we found out that the NCAA had canceled postseason. And so that was a whole lot of just shock and confusion, and we didn't really know what we were doing. And it's actually March 12th, which was the day that I got injured last year. So I had two seasons oh, ended so on the same exact that day. That is a very bad day for you. Yeah, okay. I decided I'm going to go into hiding on March 12th next year. <laughs> but, yeah, just a very odd day. I don't think anybody could have predicted this. Nobody really knew what to do. Now, typically during the spring, you guys are traveling around. You're going to classes. You're going to workouts. You're playing games. What have you and your teammates been doing to pass the time this spring? Well, as you can see, I've been hanging out with my family a whole lot, and I think a lot of the girls have been doing that too. Everybody pretty much went home to hang out and 
Um, I've actually seen videos of some of my teammates wake surfing or just like hanging out on the beach doing stuff like that. Don't worry, Ralph and Karen, we're still working out. Um, yeah, making sure we're keeping our social distance, washing our hands, but just relaxing and trying to take everything in. Now, majority of the time when you're on the softball field, that's where you get where you get your practice in. But there's some things that you can do in the home as well. What are your favorite drills to do when you're inside the house? Yeah, um, I actually like to work on my transfers while I'm watching TV. I'll take a ball, toss it up a couple times, catch it, work on my transfers. Super easy to do. You can do it while you're doing anything. And I'm actually kind of an exercise freak, as you know. And so I like to do, yeah, I like to do some core exercises and some leg strengthening exercises while I'm at home. And of course, my favorite, hitting off the tee in the garage with dad or you. Getting yelled at. (laughs) Getting yelled at. With the leg strengthening in mind, we know that you came back from a brutal injury last season. So for as a player, what was one of the hardest things for you to come back on the field this year? I think the hardest thing for me was getting my mobility and speed back. It was really hard for me to go from not doing anything at all to boom, you're catching. And also getting into a squat after a major a knee surgery was pretty difficult. You really don't see a lot of catchers coming back from ACL surgery. So just getting back into my squat and being able to move around and feel like normal me was pretty difficult. But we were actually starting to get there, right? When season got pulled right from under us, but oh well. You know what? You just got to move on. So yes. thank you so much for answering all of my questions, but I do have one more. Mm-hmm. Very important, the most important question who is the better athlete between you and me? Oh, no question. It's me. I beg to differ. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and send it back to the softball experts to give us their opinion. Who's the better athlete, Madison Shipman or Allie Shipman? All right. I have to speak as a an athlete that personally played against Madison Shipman. And I think her little sister, Allie, has a long way to go. Madison was one of the best shortstops that I ever played against. And it was so cool to see not only how good she was, but how much she pushed me to be a better slapper, a letter, better leadoff hitter when I played Tennessee because I knew, man, she's got a cannon. She gets rid of it. She had like a nasty sidearm. She had such good range as, as a shortstop. And that's not even talking about how good of a hitter that she was. So I think Allie Shipman's got the tools, but Madison has proved it thus far. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think for me, I would agree with you, Kayla. The only thing I do have to say, uh, I'm in Southern California. It's where they grew up. Allie Shipman was probably way more hyped than Maddie ever was in high school. She was ranked the number one player in the country. So she went into Tennessee more hyped than Maddie did. However, Maddie proved herself in college. So Allie's got a long way to go, but if the hype matches up to her ability, I think Allie could prevail. Keep in mind, too, one of the other great home runs in World Series history, Lauren Chamberlain's walk-off 2013 in Game 1 of the Champ Series against Tennessee. She doesn't get that heroic moment until Madison Shipman hit a three-run home run earlier in that game. So will Allie have a moment like Madison had in Oklahoma City? Hopefully for her, she gets that opportunity. Great to hear from the Shipman sisters on how they are coping right now, uh, unable to be out on the field. We uh, we are getting close to the uh, to the completion of our lineup card, if you're following along on social media. Holly Rowe, I think you can bump us to break with the one last thing on our hit list. Coming up next, after this, we will shag some stats after this on 7 Innings Podcast.
Welcome back to 7 Innings Podcast. Time now to shag some stats. Jessica, take it away. Well, Stacey Newman, we talked about how great of a slugger she was. Her senior year, 20 home runs to put her at 90, which was the record. But she hit 528. Her batting average was 528. So not just a home run hitter, but also being able to hit for average. Trodia. For me, do the Olympics have a 40-year curse? 1940, they were canceled in Japan for World War II. 1980, we had 60 to 65 teams that did not participate. 2020, will there be an Olympics? Holly, what do you got? I've got an update from the National Fast Pitch Coaches Association. They have decided in lieu of the shortened season, the suspended season, not to name All-American teams, National Coaches of the Year, and Players of the Year. They want to keep the integrity of those awards throughout the season, so they will not name those awards this year. I agree with that decision. I think since it was a shortened season, it wouldn't really be fair, and I love that the NFCA came out right away and made that statement for their Player of the Year and All-America teams and Coaches of the Year. All right, Jenny Dalton Hill, what do you have? Holly, that's perfect. Thank you so much for bringing that to light because those are important awards. When it comes to our season, we only had 36 days to play, but get a load of this. 4,082 home runs hit in that amount of time in Division I softball. Amazing ball power. I'm excited to see what happens next year. Hey, bro, what's up? Well, I got uh, one of our one seeds, Sierra Romero, in our power hitters bracket is the only player in NCAA history as a part of the 300, 300, 300 club. So she has 300 hits, 300 runs, 300 RBIs. Bimo, what's your stat? Well, I'm going to stick with that slugger thought, bro, and I'm going to talk about the greatest year that a slugger has ever had in the college game, and it was 1995 for Arizona's Laura Espinosa. Records, 37 home runs and 128 RBI in a single season. We didn't have an ESPY award back then, but I would give ESPY the ESPY for that fantastic season. (laughs) What you got cooking, Smitty? Uh, Thanks, Bimo. So for me, I'm going to go with the current home run leader at 95 home runs, Lauren Chamberlain. She hit a home run every 6.4 at-bats. So that's the stat, 6.4 at-bats to hit a dinger. Amanda, what do you got? I have another hitter that's in our greatest hitter ever bracket, Kelly Majum. She played at Hawaii. She hit 72 career home runs, and you guys, she's one of the shorter hitters to be on our list. Five foot three. It's good enough for number 21 on the career home runs leader list. And she's got a lot of pop on her bat. So, and also, I'll throw another one. This is the first time we've ever done like this Brady Bunch style type shagging stats. Beth, what did you think of it? I, it yes, makes me think. It makes me think of Alice and and the butcher. What was the name of the butcher boyfriend? Um, yes. And which Brady was it? Peter, whose voice cracked uh, that episode that he went through puberty. That was one of my all time favorite Brady bunches. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Or, or for our intents and purposes, Malga, Malga, Malga. Tatiana <laughs> is one of the players in the greatest slugger debate that we hope y'all will be uh, taking part in. And will there be a lot of votes for our two sluggers, Mendoza and Dalton? They're in the bracket. You guys ready to get out there on social media and, and uh, you know, get the word out for your cause? us old people we don't have social media friends by the way jdh has already named this week's episode we hope you've enjoyed the seven innings podcast hitting a pair of socks and we will see you all next week 